the media landscape in America is busted. Americans are on to the omissions, the half-truths, and the outright lies being propagated against we, the people. Your host, Tom Harris, will bring you the other side of the story. In the last two weeks, I interviewed people who live close to immense wind turbines to find out what it's really like. As listeners heard, it is a nightmare. In every aspect of these projects, from the disruption of the community during construction to incessant cyclical noise and flicker when the turbines are operating, many rural residents are discovering firsthand that industrial wind turbines ruin their health and quality of life. But those who support the erection of these machines say there's no problem. They tell us that low-frequency infrasound is below the level at which it would harm humans. Industrial wind turbine advocates say that the so-called wind turbine syndrome is simply in people's mind, something they call a nocebo, in contrast to a placebo, and only affects citizens because they worry about it hurting them. To help us sort out what is real and what is not, I have invited Professor Mariana Alves Pereira, an expert on the effects of infrasound on humans, to be my guest today. Mariana holds a BSc in physics from State University of New York at Stony Brook, an MSc in biomedical engineering from Drexel University in Philadelphia, and a PhD in environmental sciences from the New University of Lisbon in Portugal. In fact, Mariana is speaking to us today from Lisbon. She's been researching the biological response to infrasound and low-frequency noise since 1988. Mariana received three scientific awards and authored and co-authored over 50 scientific publications. She is Associate Professor affiliated with Lusofana University in Lisbon, where she taught biophysics and biomaterials in health science programs, as well as physics and hygiene in workplace safety and health programs until 2016. Today, Mariana is co-founder and senior researcher at IARO, International Acoustics Research Organization, headquartered in New Zealand. So welcome to the show, Mariana. Well, thank you for having me, Tom. Oh, great. Um, so generally speaking, we're going to talk about infrasound. This is something that few people really know much about. And of course, the wind turbine companies don't really like to talk about. <laughs> so can you tell us what is infrasound? So I, I like to explain infrasound as being the x-rays of sound. So like we all know that um, in the light spectrum or the electromagnetic spectrum, there's a certain portion where we see, but then there's all this other stuff that we don't see, like x-rays, ultraviolet, uh, radio, etc. So in acoustics, the acoustic spectrum is the same. There's a portion where we can hear, and that's fine, that's sound, but then there's all this other stuff that we don't hear. And infrasound is on the lower end of the spectrum. So it's the lower frequencies of the acoustic spectrum. So, and we just, we don't hear it. Doesn't mean that we can't perceive it, but we, it just, it's not processed through the auditory system. So mm. that's um, infrasound. I see. And the other side of the spectrum is called ultrasound. Is that right? That's right. And that's like the, the sounds that, you know, like the dogs, that they have the special whistle that they can hear and we don't. So that would be the ultrasound or even um, the ultrasound machines where you do mm. um, for the babies. That's also ultrasound. So it's again, it's acoustics, but we don't hear it. So it's outside of the hearing area of the mm -hmm. spectrum. 
Now, your expertise is called vibroacoustic disease. That's a very sophisticated term, and I've, I hadn't heard it actually before I started looking into this. What is vibroacoustic disease? <laughs> well, um, it's the collections of signs and symptoms. So um, just uh, to clarify, symptoms is what the patient complains about, and signs is what the health professional observes in the patient. Mm -hmm. So it's a collection of signs and symptoms that um, was first observed in 1940 by Dr. Dart in the Detroit aeronautical industry thing in Detroit when it was back in the 1940s. So he was actually the first guy that we've ever found that documented this disease that occurs among workers of the aeronautical industry. So mm. then you fast forward, right. So then you fast forward into the 60s and you have the Soviets. Um, Andreeva Galenina and Professor Izmerov, they were pr proposing a vibro-noise disease because they too were identifying a pathology among workers. Again, this is workers of the industry. So then, you know, we go fast forward again into the 80s. And there we have, with whom I worked, Dr. Branco. He's a colonel in the Portuguese Air Force and a pathologist. So he begins to see, again, this pathology among the workers of the aeronautical industry. Of course, the techniques and the um, technological advancements of, of medicine in the 80s were different than in the 60s and in the mm -hmm. yeah. 40s. And so uh, over the years, the research with Dr. Branco ended in 2016, 2015, around that he retired. Um, so their vibroacoustic disease is just, again, the name that of a, a pathology that has been identified in industrial workers for many, many years now. But since we had the new techniques to identify what was actually causing it at the cellular level, that's why this term vibroacoustic came out. So it's um, that's that's the reason for it, and that's the historical development of it. Yeah. So that applies then to low frequency, or both high and low, or any frequency. Well, no. In this in this particular these examples I've been giving you, they're all low frequency and infrasound. Oh, in, that's in interesting. Right. Yeah. It's not I. I used to work as an aeronautical engineer at a at the high speed wind tunnel at the National Research Council. And, you know, when it discharged, because it was a blowdown tunnel, it would charge up air and then it would blow it down through the wind tunnel uh, up to about Mach 4, actually. And the sound was incredible. I mean, you could hear it for 10 miles and we were in the same building. So I imagine there was probably a lot of you know, low frequency noise that we were subject to for those years that we didn't even know. <laughs> oh, absolutely. The the good thing when, you know, going back to the winter, you weren't sleeping in that, right? Yeah, we went home. So, right, you went home. So, yeah. so that's, um, yeah. Well, they were not allowed to run it at night. And so that's a, that's a good thing. But these wind turbines, of course, they're running 24-7, a lot of them. And, and so what are symptoms of the disease, vibroacoustic disease? Well, you know, again, if we always have to separate if you're in an occupational setting or if you're in an environmental setting, because the onset of symptoms will 
differ significantly if you're in a, you know, nine to five job thing where you go home and hopefully you don't live near wind turbines, otherwise it's nonstop. But, you know, go home and you have what is called a respite, a recovery period for your cells. But if you're living in it, so um, then the onset of symptoms will be greatly accelerated, right? So mm-hmm. um, the in terms of the workers, I'm going to read off the symptoms because um, in terms of the workers, symptoms appear in accordance with years of exposure, right? Mm-hmm. So and so in and why I'm going to read them off is because people who live near uh, wind turbines will probably identify. Uh, very well a lot of these symptoms but although they're not necessarily chronologically occurring as in occupational so after one to four years of occupational exposure the symptoms will be indigestion heartburn repeated mouth and throat infections and bronchitis this Mm -hmm. is in smokers and non-smokers alike you know there's no uh it's not the smoking bronchitis Mm -hmm. so After four to 10 years of exposure, again, this is occupational exposure, people complain of chest pain, back pain, fatigue. They have very unusual fungal and viral skin infections, allergies, Mm -hmm. blood in the urine, and ulcers of the stomach. Mm -hmm. So after 10 years uh, of, of exposure, you can get psychiatric disturbances, headaches, hemorrhages of the nose and of the digestive mucosa. So, you know, the the, the, the digestive tract, you can have colitis, you can have ulcers of the duodenum, varicose veins, hemorrhoids, decreased vision, severe joint pain, severe muscular pain, and neurological disturbances. Now, Tom, the reason why I read these out is because people who live in wind turbine homes or uh, homes contain, contaminated with infrasound generated by wind turbines, they don't take 10 years to get to the severe symptoms. Many of these people, after one or two years, depending on other circumstances, they develop what we are here for the occupational calling severe, so the more than 10 years exposure. People in their homes are getting this after two or three years. Mm-hmm. Of exposure. That's why I I read them all out. So, mm-hmm. um, so it seems then that people living there, if they live there and work there, they would get a double whammy. I mean, that yes. would be especially bad for workers who live near turbines. So this whole thing, then, it, it I wouldn't. I'm not surprised the wind turbine companies don't want to talk about it. You know, ha, have you actually conducted experiments to determine what the effect of infrasound is on people? Well, um, that's, you know, that's a big question, right? Because the amount of money to actually do that in accordance with the uh, axioms of the scientific method is enormous, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So you, to actually do a proper study, a scientifically valid study, you'd need a lot of money. So um, what we are doing today is we have the capacity to measure infrasound in high resolution, so mm-hmm. not this these shenanigans that they tell us how to measure noise according to legislation. That's irrelevant for us because with that methodology of lit that's stipulated by uh, lots of uh, legislation worldwide, you cannot quantify how much infrasound is there. So mm-hmm. if you can't quantify how much infrasound is there, it doesn't matter the health effects that you see. You don't know how much is causing what. 
if mm-hmm. you can't mm-hmm. quantify it, you see. Yeah. So what we're doing, and this is pioneering, and uh, I think we're the only ones still doing it in the world, we use high-resolution uh, machinery or equipment to actually quantify the amount of infrasound inside, for example, a home in the that is in the proximity of a wind power plant. While the machine is there measuring this, we ask the um, owners of the home to keep a diary so that we can know when they slept well, when they didn't, all you know, when they felt really bad, when they didn't. And I have to say this because we live in the world we live in. When the equipment is in the homes of the people, they cannot see on the screen what's going on. So it's not like they can see, oh, look, there's a lot of infrasound now. Let's say we're really sick. You know, now there's nothing. Let's tell them we're fine. Now, there's no possibility. So the data is extracted through post-processing of wave files. So nothing... You see, so nothing on the computer screen of the equipment would would be there to indicate, oh, now there's a lot and now there's not so much. So mm-hmm. just to, you know, when we have the equipment in the house of the people and we ask them to keep a diary, they have no idea except what they feel. Mm-hmm. And what they feel is barometer enough for us, but yeah. except what they feel. And we've had, we've married this information. So, oh, so yeah. uh, we have a beautiful case. We've published it, um, and it's in Portugal. So, exact the night where the man could absolutely not sleep to the point where he took benzodiazepines. You know, he had to take uh, medication uh, to yeah. calm, you know, like that. Um, that was the night that we registered the highest infrasonic peaks that come off of the wind turbine acoustic signature. All wind turbines, when they're rotating, they emit an acoustic signature, which is pulsed in the Mm -hmm. infrasonic range. And so that night where that man had to take, it was so bad that he had to take medication to, you know, relax and calm down. That was the night where we identified, we measured, it was there at the same time, these enormous Mm -hmm. peaks of infrasound and these peaks of infrasound, they constitute what is called the wind turbine acoustic signature, which is all oh, wow. in the infrasonic range. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. And we might as well jump to this question because it relates to what you were just saying. You know, some people who actually, some of them actually support uh, wind and solar power. They're actually working in the field. There's a university in Germany, for example. I can't remember which one, but they just produced a five-part series of 12-minute videos in which they showed that the infrasound is way below anything that humans would ever detect. But what you're finding is that when the infrasound was there, they felt it. And when it wasn't there, they didn't feel it. So how would you respond to people then that say that the wind turbine infrasound symptoms are simply psychosomatic, that they're actually thinking that they're being affected, so they are affected. So how how do you respond? Because there's been several videos out which talk about, oh, this is just psychosomatic. (laughs) Well, you know, that's there's a two-pronged answer to that question. And it's really funny because... um, According to the axioms of medical science, if a, if there is a condition which is suspected to be psychosomatic, and there are several, it's not just wind turbines, what you must do is give complementary diagnostic tests. These are medical tests that get objective data. I'll give you an example. 
I'm sure you've all and your your um, listeners have all heard of these uh, women who um, they have problems. And so they imagine that they're pregnant and mm-hmm. they have all the pregnancy symptoms. I mean, you know, the, the the milk starts being produced and the belly starts to go big and all the sim- all the physiological symptoms are there. Right. But they're not pregnant. It's all kind of in their brain, right? So it's mm-hmm. we could say it's a psychosomatic pregnancy, right? Mm-hmm. What does the doctor do? The medical practitioner, woman walks in with all appearing to be pregnant. What does he do? He gives her an ultrasound, does he not? He or she? Mm-hmm. Yeah. An ultrasound. And if the ultrasound shows that there's no baby present, aha. Now we have scientific evidence that this patient is suffering from some psychosomatic condition, right? Right. Isn't this how medical sciences work? So yeah. now they're saying it's psychosomatic. Oh, well, prove it. Give, let's give. Let's give all these people medical proper, relevant, and pertinent medical diagnostic tests to prove that it is psychosomatic. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> we don't. But you see, after having said all this, this whole entire issue is moot because what about the animals? What are they psychosomatically right. affected? Well, yeah, they want yeah. money too, right? The pigs that are going nuts, <laughs> the chickens that are going to horses that are dying, all these animals that are dying. Oh, yeah, they want money too. They're, it's all psychosomatic for them as well. So you see, once you bring in the evidence of the animals, the whole question of whether this is or isn't psychosomatic is moot. However, mm-hmm. within medical sciences, the question of whether it is or not psychosomatic is easily dispelled or reinforced by giving the people complementary diagnostic medical tests mm-hmm. with which mm-hmm. you could obtain objective medical data which yeah. is how you evaluate whether or not there's something wrong. <laughs> you know, and yeah. that's old school science, by the way. I know nowadays things are and, different. And, and that supports the idea that they are really feeling these things. They're not just imagining it. No, of course not. And you see, what what happens to the workers is that there is actual cellular damage. Mm. What happens to the animals is there is actual cellular damage. But what are most studies, what are they evaluating in the people? Annoyance. Mm. Mm-hmm. They're evaluating annoyance. How annoyed are you on a scale of one to five? You know, yeah. and what time was it when you were the most annoyed? Was it like three o'clock in the morning or nine o'clock in the morning? You see, this is not bona fide medical sciences. This is so not you actually how- you actually have then the cellular information, the cellular da- cellular data of decay. Yeah, yeah, we do the well, we have some. The Russians have others, and the Chinese mm-hmm. have others. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the West doesn't uh, feel it. It is necessary to invest uh, money and research in this area, and mm-hmm. therefore we we have. Uh, in fact. I just recently testified in the Alberta Utilities Commission, and oh, one yeah. of the, yes, and uh, one of the uh, um, experts on the opposing side said, uh, "All the research is done. We don't need any more research. We know everything." <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I, I don't even know any field of science where that would be true. That's true. Yeah, exactly. And, and in fact, it's interesting. Um, I was reading that chickens in a particular test who were subjected to wind turbine infrasound, their eyeballs were affected and their sleep was destroyed. And when they were actually moved away from the turbines to a totally separate location, apparently they slept for four days because they were totally sleep deprived. So yeah, this is a real effect. Apparently the, the low frequency sound shakes their eyeballs and can actually destroy their vision. And again, <laughs> you know, it's not psychosomatic for chickens. <laughs> Well, yeah. you know, Tom, you know, they, they studied the effects of infrasound on the eyeball back in the 60s and 70s under the military. Oh, because right. they had guys flying brand new planes and helicopters, which vibrated all over the place. They really yeah. needed. This is known. This is not well, new. Yeah. But and not only that, the military I, I, were going the military were going to use infrasound as a weapon. It's interesting because they actually tested it and were very serious building large machines to use as a weapon, a directed weapon. But they found that the results in the enemy were too inconsistent. Some people were affected more than others. And of course, that's exactly what we find here with infrasound and wind turbines. I mean, you get some people who are quite resistant to it. When I was out at Ruby's house in Finch, Ontario, she took me to a room where she said that three turbines on each side of her house, the infrasound coalesced in that one place. And quite a few of her friends, when they went into that area, would feel sick, they'd get headaches, they'd get chest pains, they'd feel anxious. I went in there and I didn't feel very much. But the interesting thing is that when I was in the Navy, I actually went through a hurricane and almost the whole ship's company were seasick, but I wasn't seasick. And that seems to be a bit of a correlation that if people are motion sickness susceptible, that they are more likely to be affected by infrasound. Is that what you found? Well, we find that prior exposures are a very big indicator to how much the person is going to feel it or not feel it. So, mm -hmm. and by prior exposures, you have to understand it starts at the fetal level, right? So okay. we have a lot of women who carry their pregnancy to term while they're working. Working where? Some are working in auto, in the auto industry. Some are working in textile factories. So now the child, and we have this reproduced in with animals in the laboratory. We've had we've studied the animals who were born where the mothers were already exposed to noise. So we're, we're mm -hmm. studying the, you know the offspring of noise exposed mothers and and we see that the um so if you have already fetal exposure you're going to be more susceptible mm. so uh, one of the ways around this in in science which of course uh, people who claim to be studying health effects and wind turbine uh presence of wind turbines they don't realize that it is necessary to get individual interviews from all human subjects that mm -hmm. takes time that takes knowledge and it essentially takes money so mm -hmm. scrap that idea but okay you should you must get individual interviews from every person and the first question of these extended interviews is where was your mother pregnant with you mm -hmm. was she working at boeing was she working at the railways? You know, was she driving a tractor? There are so many locations where the fetus 
already becomes exposed. So, and then when you do a proper study, a scientifically valid study, you must stratify your subjects into mild previous exposure, moderate previous exposure, and extensive previous exposure. So... Mm -hmm give you an example and this is an actual uh, real life example so there's a, a case it's in australia and she stays at home now you know the home is surrounded by wind turbines she stays at home and he works outside of the house so in theory she would feel it more than he because he was working outside of the house had some sort of respite while she was there at all times Turns out in this case, he developed uh, symptoms much sooner than she did and more severe. So uh, when I was there, I went there and I interviewed them. And it was, you know, you have to laugh because what what did he do before? He used to be uh, an Air Force mechanic. And oh, then wow. he changed jobs and was a truck driver. Lots of infrasound in truck drivers as well, by the way, in terms yeah. of exposure and then he turned into gardening you know with all these leaf blowers and things but that's uh, you know way better than the yeah, aeronautical so of course this guy has extensive prior exposure so the little time that he is in the house he's greatly affected compared mm -hmm. to his wife but if you give them enough time they'll catch up to each other you know. So it sounds like you would recommend that for women who are pregnant, who live near industrial wind turbines, they should try to find a place during the pregnancy away from the turbines. They oh, should absolutely. actually take take absolutely. an eight-month vacation, nine-month vacation, and actually move away somewhere. Absolutely. No, this mm -hmm. is absolutely, they should really, really consider it. But you know what? Again, this isn't new. Mm -hmm. There is a story in the 1600s in London, Princess Charlotte, she had difficulty getting pregnant. So they moved her from the city of London, where it was very noisy, and they moved her to a place where it was more quiet, because that was thought to interfere in the pregnancies. Mm -hmm. So that's way back when. This is not, you know, but mm -hmm. again, this is infrasound. So it's the noise you don't hear. Right. Yeah. So, so even yeah, exactly. Princess Charlotte was exposed to noise of traffic, even at that time with the oldest, uh, she was on a major road in London In uh, I forget the names. I can get them for you later if you want. But, yeah. Um, um, yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. So, but this is infrasound, right? And so what you can't well, hear I, won't hurt you. Isn't that what they say? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. In one of your presentations that I was watching on the internet last night, you were saying that the low frequency pulse, you know, sometimes as low as one per second, wom, 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 depending on the frequency, it affects different organs differently. So that that's quite interesting. Yes, um, it's, um, look, it's just like radiation, right? Mm -hmm. Radia different frequencies of radiation affect different parts of the body, yeah. right? So it's exactly like radiation. And one of the difficulties in science uh, in this in this matter is that we do not, as with the electromagnetic spectrum, so, okay, we have the light, the portion where we see, but then we segment all the rest, right? X-rays, ultra, um, ultraviolet, we segment it. That doesn't happen in acoustics. 
infrasound is in one big bag. So mm -hmm. if it's infrasound at two hertz or infrasound at four hertz or infrasound at 16 hertz, it doesn't matter. It's all mm -hmm. infrasound. Below so, 20, right? 20 is right. the divider? Yeah. Yes, 20 is uh, considered to, to be... Um, yeah, so um, this this makes it extraordinarily difficult to study. Right now, I have to say, um, to my knowledge, only the Russian Federation has legislation for infrasound, but they sep they segment two hertz, four hertz, six hertz, eight hertz. They segment, and they have different values, permissible exposure values for the different frequencies of infrasound. So. Um, you know, somebody somewhere knows something because. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. So we have to go for a break now. You probably heard my dog in the background. <laughs> I didn't. They're all making so much noise. I'm so sorry. Oh, okay. No, no, I hear. I mean, my dog just did that too. <laughs> so we'll be right back with Professor Mariana Alves Pereira, an expert on the effects of infrasound on humans, right after the break. The buildup of spike proteins is dangerous to your health. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body, removing the spike proteins, allowing your body to repair from within. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system becomes less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. AmericaOutloud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. 
America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. I'm back with Professor Mariana Alves Pereira, an expert on the effects of intrasound on humans. So, Mariana, can you tell us how far away from a turbine would you want to live if, if in fact, there were a 60-story industrial wind turbine in the in the community where you were? How far would you want to live away from that to feel that you're not being affected? Well, I, I personally, the bigger they get, you know, the farther I'd have to uh, flee them. Uh, I used to say I wouldn't live 20, 30 kilometers away from them, but now I say 50 because they're getting ever and ever bigger. Right. Um, this is, uh, you, see, you see, the the wave that propagates in the air that and that is generated by these rotating blades, it has a very, very large wavelength in mm. the order of several meters. And at one hertz, the wavelength, which is like the distance, you can imagine a wave and has peaks and troughs, right? And so the distance between two peaks, imagine that being 343 meters. Whoa. And, yes, at one hertz. Yeah. So these things can propagate. Now, of course, it's going to depend, like, is there mountains? Are there like bodies of water? Do you have mining tunnels or caves? Is it peat? Is it sand? Are there, you know, like tunnels of mountains that it can funnel through? All of this is going to um, affect the propagation of these infrasonic pulsed waves. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the distance, you know, again, um, we've we've detected uh, wind turbine acoustic signatures about thirty kilometers away. Oh but wow. There- Oh, no, but there are people in Finland, the people from Nokia that used to work in Nokia know all about signal processing. They can identify the model of wind turbine 300 kilometers away. That's not too surprising in a way, because don't they use infrasound to detect nuclear explosions? Precisely. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Yes, Exactly. You know, the infrasonic um, propagation goes all can go all around the world. It can go all around the planet. The mm-hmm. Krakatoa uh, volcano, it also, you know, and it just goes. And even now, more recently, there were the uh, infrasonic measurements with that, uh, the big one in Indonesia, the Sumatra uh, tsunami. All of that was very infrasonic, if you'd like. So, of course, they they travel all over, you know. Um, Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting. During the Apollo missions, and you can see I'm wearing a Star Trek shirt. So (laughs) I've always been a a fan. That's right. I can't do that. I can't make that hand signal. But during the Apollo program, they crashed the ascent stage of the lunar module. They crashed it into the moon. And they found the moon rang like a bell. So... Would that have been infrasound? Probably not. My uh, understanding of the the Bell experiment, it's uh, isn't it later was called the Bell experiment. Uh, my understanding of that situation was that they had left uh, vibration center sensors on the surface of the moon. So mm-hmm. uh, what they heard back on those sensors uh, was indicating, you know, features of the moon that we weren't 
quite used to, you know, the, the, if the moon is solid, it's not supposed to ring like a bell, basically. But um, so there it it could have gone into the infrasonic range. But when you're talking about vibration, uh, you don't do infrasound, right? Mm-hmm. Vibration is the it's you have to have the two bodies in contact with each other and there's a vibration that's the mechanical transmission of energy from solid to solid when you're Mm -hmm. talking about noise and sound it's not from solid to solid it's from air to solid yeah oh i see see. yeah yeah that's a good point um, (laughs) so you're saying up to you you wouldn't want to live closer than 15 kilometers and yet the 50. Oh, wow. <laughs> and those setbacks, you know, here in Ontario are 550 meters. I understand yeah. in Australia, at least they have two kilometers, but even that's not adequate for many people, right? No, there's actually, I think it's out of Finland, a study that they've done. It was some years ago and they um, tallied up the complaints of people living at two kilometers from the wind power plants five kilometers and 10 kilometers Mm -hmm. and they found that the complaints of the two kilometer people were of course um, more than the complaints of the five and 10 kilometer people however the complaints of people living 10 kilometers away were more were more serious and in greater in number than the ones living five kilometers away There must be some sort of amplifying factor. Maybe it was the terrain or something like that. Precisely. Precisely. And and it strikes me that, you know, Ruby has three turbines on each side of her house. Would it be true that the waves could actually uh, augment each other, the infrasound waves, so that when she talks about one room in her house being particularly bad, that actually is supported by science. There could be a convergence of the waves and actually make a greater infrasound in amplitude. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's also room resonance, which can amplify it even more. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's not it's, it's not just the actual waves, but once you have the wave uh, trapped, so to speak, within an enclosure, it can go back and forth. If you have more than one, they can all interfere with each other. Um, yeah, what a mess. It is a mess. It's a mess. It's a terrible mess. But um, we call those uh, locations like Ruby's uh, room there. It would we call it a hot spot. Uh um, So, you know, of course, the idea would be if you have a contaminated home, at least get your bed out of the hot spot. If it is in Mm -hmm. a hot spot, you know, at least get the bed the bed the sleeping portion of your life um really really should not be done in the midst of an aggressive environment such as an infrasound contamination now some people might think oh well all you need is a couple of feet of concrete wall and you're fine but that's not really true as the wavelength gets to be longer and longer the thickness of the wall that you need to to effectively stop the infrasound becomes untenable right i mean it becomes unreasonable when you get down to one or two hertz that's absolutely true that's why for example the double glazed and triple glazed windows work for audible sound audible sound the wave, the, the the distance between the two peaks of a wave is in centimeters. Mm-hmm. And hence, if you have a triple glazed window, what, 10 centimeters, right? Something gigantic like that, you know? Of course, then the centimeter waves will not come through. But mm-hmm. again, we're talking about meter with hundreds of meters. 
So mm-hmm. at 20 hertz, which is the exact border of infrasound, at 20 hertz, the distance of the wavelength of the peaks there is 17 meters. Okay. So anything to protect against infrasound would have to be 17 meters thick and thicker down to one hertz, which is 343 meters. Holy, wow. So, So that means that, would you say then that the thickness required to block a sound is in some way proportional to the wavelength? Is that a generally true statement? Yes, that's the rule of thumb. Mm-hmm. So for one hertz, it must be huge. I mean, you must need an impossibly wide wall. <laughs> it's, it is, it's at one hertz. The 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 distance there is three hundred and forty three meters. Mm-hmm. So let's mm-hmm. say three hundred meters for the sake of 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 ease ease of conversation. So at one hertz, you need a wall that is three hundred meters thick. But oh, you see, see, you have to be careful because it has to be like an igloo. Right. Yeah. Because because it it just doesn't go straight. The sound doesn't just go straight. It goes up and over and around, you know, so uh, yeah. it can even penetrate the ground. So, I yeah. mean, how, how deep down are you going to go with these uh, 300 meter thick walls? I mean, it's not. Simple. <laughs> yeah, it's- exactly. So for people who have the misfortune, who are listening to this show, who actually live near industrial wind turbines, what would you recommend they do besides moving away? What can they do to mitigate, if anything, the effect of infrasound? Oh, besides moving away. Okay, um, so here's the reports that we have gotten around the world that people who have tried to cope with this uh, aggressive environment. In Germany, we have a couple who built a bunker bedroom. So uh, they go down, down, it's off of the kitchen, it's very deep, and they live there, and it apparently makes things better, except, they tell me, when the winds are from the east, and there's uh, the closer wind turbines in that particular case are in the east. Um, so, and, and when the wind that I'm quoting them, when the winds are from the east, we get the diarrheas. Oh, gee. So, and that's, that's even awesome. when they're and they're actually underground at that point. Oh, very much underground. No, it's mm-hmm. really a bunker bedroom, like very it's rock walls. It's it's quite. Uh, significant but the other option which is perhaps more feasible for most people and it seems to work with several people um out of holland this is what they've done they've bought a camper they've bought a camper and in the the bad nights they tell me they just get in their camper and they drive away and then they sleep a peaceful night wherever Mm-hmm. wherever you know, they stop and feel okay and then they return to the home they understand mm-hmm. that sleeping in these environments is the worst that you could do it's the yeah. worst well many have also um not being able financially to just move away um what they do is they take one night a week and they go and sleep elsewhere mm-hmm. just one night a week and it has significant effects i was actually surprised at how um you know significant it was in terms of how people are feeling just by going one night a week away from the contaminated home you see oh, that's, that's interesting that's when yeah, you get that's, 
That's a that's a good idea. You know, it's interesting. When I was in the Navy, the place where the people slept was below deck, and it was near a lot of heavy inter- heavy machinery, you know, steam turbines and things like that. And I would, when we were in port, I would go and stay in a motel uh, every time we had a chance. I would get off ship and I'd go sleep somewhere else because I was always sleep deprived. And I never put two and two together, but I guess it may very well have been the infrasound from these huge boilers and massive turbines that were just on the other side of the bulkhead yeah huh. that's, wow that's, that's, that's interesting and and do you think there is any justification in the idea that the fact that i wasn't motion sick maybe makes me a little less sensitive to infrasound is that do, do you see that correlation i i have never um i know that there are a lot of people studying that and there have been making correlations with motion sickness and effects of infrasound since the 60s. Mm. But um, I have yet to see any proper, you see, um, motion sickness apparently is associated with the labyrinth. So the part of the brain uh, near the ear that keeps you upright, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so it, in theory, certain frequencies of infrasound can affect the labyrinth, right? Mm -hmm. But um, I have no, I hear these stories for me, they're anecdotal because I haven't really seen any science on this. Um, You know, real science, like let's get all the people who get motion sickness and let's put them in wind turbine homes and see who gets bad first. You know I mean? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, um, yes. I guess there'd be some ethics involved. You wouldn't necessarily be able to do that ethically, would you? (laughs) I mean, uh, I know the EPA in the United States wanted to test the effects of small particulate matter on people. So they paid people to sit and breathe it. They paid people to have their children do it, you know, which people were saying, hey, if you think it's so dangerous, which it isn't, by the way, but if you think the particulate matter 2.5 is that dangerous, what were you doing putting children in it? <laughs> so in this case, yeah, you probably wouldn't get very many volunteers who would who would want to live beside a turbine for you to do the tests. Well, I wouldn't need volunteers, would I, oh, Tom? You have, you, have, you have real people sitting there right now. <laughs> All over the world. Yeah. All over well, the world. It's, you know, sorry. sorry. Yeah, apparently there's over a third of a million of these industrial wind turbines around the world. And it strikes me that there are vested interests who would want to suppress this information because think of the claims, think of the lawsuits that could result if it, if it was accepted by the legal authorities and by the political people that infrasound was making literally millions of people i mean it would be huge lawsuits so do you think that's part of the reason that this is being suppressed well of course and you're only thinking about the lawsuits of wind turbines right mm-hmm. how oh, about God. the military how about the military do you know about the lawsuits in the military for the hearing loss mm-hmm. Are you aware of all of that back in the 80s how yeah. about the commercial pilots and commercial flight attendants they're mm-hmm. all, I mean, it, the occupational, we're not even going the environmental and wind turbines, just, yeah. just the military, tanks, submarines, all these people are tremendously exposed occupationally, like, like, like asbestos, remember, they were mm-hmm. occupationally exposed, and then they got a lot of money because mm-hmm. uh, nobody wanted to listen, and then when they finally did, now there's a class action. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, so it's, it's. It, the op- I often refer to it as opening of the floodgates. Once you recognize infrasound as an agent of disease, 
wind turbines are the least of your problems because right. you're going to have enormous sectors of, of society, including the military, all the industry, the airport workers. How about the, the stevedores? You know, all these people are enormously exposed to infrasound and low frequency noise. They are oh. getting sick. Nobody diagnoses them properly, right? As wow, well. yeah. Yeah, so that, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. That, of course, the, the obvious question is, and I think I know what the answer is going to be, but do the government have proper regulations to regulate infrasound? They don't even measure it. Mm. It's, they have no regulation. The regulations, mostly all over the world, like I don't know what China is doing, but I know that the Russian Federation has infrasound legislated. Now, uh, in most of Western world, however, takes the stance that what you can't hear won't hurt you. And therefore, we don't even need to measure the infrasound in the environment because it won't hurt you. Mm -hmm. That's and I guess one of the things happens. one of the things we have to be very sort of wary about is how we measure it, because I've seen people citing DBA which, of course, it reflects what human ears can hear. And they say, look, DBA for this infrasound at 10 hertz is negligible. But there's a problem there, isn't there? <laughs> there's, there's a huge problem there. I mean, um, the DBA is like putting a filter on top of your microphone. And so your microphone is only going to measure that which the human ear would hear, right? Uh -huh. So infrasound is immediately out, Right because the human ear does not hear infrasound. So by placing this filter on the microphone, which is the equivalent of the DBA, you are essentially eliminating it even from consideration. Mm -hmm. So, um, so if, if you detect any DB at, in a DBA spectrum at the infrasound, you're having to add a lot to that to find out what's really there. Is that how it works? Right. Well, in quick numbers, for example, if you measure D with DBAs at 10 hertz, the difference between what you're measuring and the, what the machine actually tells you and what is actually in the environment, the difference is 70 dBs oh, at wow. 10 hertz. 70. I'm a physicist. That's not even a measurement. What kind yeah. of measurement is that? 70 dB difference between what you're measuring and what's really in the environment? It's ludicrous. I mean, of course, yeah. we have to, you know, I think it's important to, to, you know, to say that the DBA has a historical reason for existence because mm -hmm. historically we're trying to protect the hearing. So the DBA is great when you're in noisy environments and your objective is to protect the hearing, it's great. However, yeah. when you go into infrasound, it's it completely irrelevant. And, and so, so what units should they use to measure infrasound? Well, I I like the term dB linear, which is okay. uh, it's a it's a microphone with no filter. What you're measuring is what is there. Period. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's the linear measurements. Um, some manufacturers now use the DBZ. I don't particularly like that uh, terminology. It's a big, big, long story. But uh, the DBZ is also it's better than than, you know, than the DBA. But I like the D DB linear, which is basically mm -hmm. the, same as the Z DBZ. 
Yeah. So for people who are living in a community where they're talking about bringing in wind turbines and the company comes and says, well, you know, our turbines only produce this much infrasound in DBA. I guess the answer they should give right away is yes. And that's hiding the primary impact of infrasound. What is the linear DBA, DB, not DBA, but linear DB at those frequencies? And if they don't have a measurement, you have to say to them, well, go make the measurement. And of course, they're not going to want to tell you the results, but that's the thing they should do. If, if if citizens are opposing this, that would be a strong weapon to use, that they should say, we want to see linear dB in the infrasound area from your turbines, Mr. Wind Turbine Company. And if they can't give it, then they shouldn't support the turbine. No, I, I, I agree entirely, but the response to that will be, there is no legislation demanding that sort of measurement. So in the uh, AUC, right, the Alberta Utilities Commission, so in Alberta, they have the Rule 012, which is supposed to uh, regulate all this noise from wind turbines, and it's all in DBAs. Mm-hmm. Well, so, that's um, useless for infrasound. <laughs> right, so why would, why would the wind developer measure in DB linears when it's not legally required to do so Mm -hmm. so there aren't regulations then that insist on db linear being measured at all no oh wow yeah Yeah. now we sadly we have to wrap up in about four minutes can you tell us what sort of projects you're working on now because it, it is interesting that you're working with this international acoustics research organization headquartered in new zealand it's uh so that's kind of cool what are you doing with them and what's your other research coming up soon well that's um uh yaro the uh the people in in new zealand we're all a big team and uh we're all interested in the acoustics the effects on health so there's also canadian people and of course portuguese and english and scottish people part of the group and of course australian and new zealanders our high-resolution uh, infrasonic measuring machine called the SAM, um, it's, it was developed by the New Zealanders. And so what we're doing now, we have about, I think, like 40 SAMs around the world. So we're doing these high-resolution infrasonic measurements all over the world. There's mm-hmm. uh, we, we do something, it's called the CSI ACHE, which is Citizen Science Initiative, Acoustic Characterization of Human Environment. So that's our big mm. project, CSI ACHE. And right. what we do is we go into people's homes, people that contact us, and we measure, put the machine there and try to figure out, I mean, this, yes, the majority are wind turbines, but there are several cases where there is a infrasound contamination and it's not wind turbines, mm. okay? It can be mining activities. It can be um, subway stuff i mean there's uh could be the pipelines under the ground there are many sources of of course now wind turbines it's prolific it's everywhere it's like a you know an epidemic so of course we get more wind turbine contaminated homes now than more than ever but wind turbines are not it's the last in a very long list of sources that contaminate can contaminate um your home of course we have our phd students um currently we have several phd students although and I have to say, I'm happy about this. Um, the PhD students currently are uh, focusing on occupational environments. So mm. we're taking the high resolution infrasonic machine into the occupational environments. Frankly, we're all very 
very much fed up with the wind turbine acoustic signature. We can't <laughs> look at those things anymore. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that's very exciting. It sounds like one of the things people should be doing is pushing their MPs, their members of parliament, to look into this issue and to start to establish proper regulations. Would you say that should be a major step? Absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Regulations yeah. that, are, that are not... Um, well, not detrimental to the developer, but at least fair to the people, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, but not detrimental. I mean, the object objective now is not to let's get the developer and let's make legislation that prohibits completely. That's not the point. The point yeah. would be the, the nice symbiosis, right? So that the human ecosystem can coexist with this uh, with this energy production methodology. You know, that yeah. would be. Yeah, exactly. So you're not enemies of any particular industrial source. You just want to know what's really happening and what the real effects are on people so people can take appropriate steps. And hopefully, in many cases, just not live near, you know, any of these massive industrial machines. That's the ideal. Unfortunately, we have to wrap up now. My guest today has been Professor Mariana Alves Pereira, an expert on the effects of ultrasound on humans. And holy smokes, there is a lot of stuff that we don't know that we're learning today. And thank you so much. After having guests who are talking about their personal experience, it's absolutely perfect wrap up to now have the scientific basis for what they're feeling. So I hope people who are listening will send this all over the place, this interview, because this is a very, very important discussion. So thanks for being on our show, Mariana. Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me. Okay, that was fun. So this is Tom Harris signing out from the other side of the story.